0: Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you by GrowMark FS. Keeping up with the latest in ag is a challenge, to say the least, but there are experts nearby ready to help. You'll find them at your local FS. You can trust them to bring you customized agronomic grain and energy solutions, board of the latest thinking. That's because FS specialists receive continuous training that keeps them current on the latest trends, practices, and technologies. So you'll get local expertise that's both exceptional and up-to-date. Visit fssystem.com to learn how FS is bringing you what's next.
1: Bringing you the ag information you need. This is Market Talk, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen.
0: We saw a fairly mixed day in the market trade on Tuesday. Welcome into Market Talk. Thanks for joining us here today. I am your host, Jesse Allen. Great to be here as always. We have a busy show on hand. We're going to dive into the markets and some of the activity we're seeing here to start off the week brian split agmarket.net is going to join us coming up here in segment two and three to discuss also we're going to take a look at some of the news headlines surrounding agriculture later in the show but we're jumping in right away with our first guest of the day nick King, agrigold agronomist is joining us nick it's been a little while great to have you back on the show sir i hope you're doing well
2: doing pretty good jesse i appreciate you having me on um you doing okay
0: I'm doing fantastic. Doing fantastic. A good start to the year so far. And I know uh, a lot of growers are going through their winter meeting season and that whole thing is kind of happening right now, getting some education, making some decisions for next year. So uh, a lot of things to think about. And I know there's a lot of things to think about when it comes to soybeans. We got different diseases we're fighting, et cetera. I know you conducted a replicated soybean architecture study to help guide farmers' seed selection decisions as we get into 2023. So just on the surface, can you break that down? What is that? What did you What did you do there to kind of help with uh, farmers' decisions going into the spring?
2: Yeah, so we recognize that there's a lot of differences with soybeans today. We have different trade platforms. Um, you want Enlist Technology, Dicamba, ExtendFlex a lot of trait platforms out there. And then we have varieties that differ in agronomics, how well they handle stress and other diseases. But what I didn't recognize in the industry uh, to a large level was a study of soybean architecture. So essentially how well a soybean branches, where it loads pods, um, just the overall structure of that plant. So I I did conduct a study this, uh, this past spring, this past 2022 growing season. And uh, we planted 10 varieties at two different populations, 80,000 plants per acre versus 160,000 plants per acre. And I think this is done, you know, around the country, but really focuses on yield. I wanted to focus on the soybean architecture. So I wanted to see if I gave plants space, would they make use of it? If I bump population up, could they compensate and redirect energy Uh, to potting on that main stem so essentially just wanted to look at the different ways soybeans flexed in hopes that that would help place beans better into the management styles that fit those beans best
0: very interesting and that is a that is a take that i don't think we hear about is looking at the overall structure of that soybean plant so so what were some of the biggest takeaways you found with the study nick
2: Yeah, so we were hoping when I went into this, that I could categorize beans in different categories, but honestly had no idea what those categories would be. At the end of the study, um, I've kind of concluded that we have three different uh, soybean architectures within this study, right? Only 10 varieties, so certainly not the entire aggregate lineup, but recognize that some soybeans pod load on the main stem, so they're just stick- figures, if you will, whether I'm at 80,000 or 160,000, these beans don't branch. They just want to continue to load pods and seed up on that main stem. Then we've got another soybean variety category, which would be if I give a soybean variety space, it will branch, but on those branches, there's no fruiting structures, there's no pods. So essentially they've just become vines, trifoliates that stretch out Um, maybe grabbing sunlight, but they're not producing any yield. And that third category would be, you know, a soybean plant at 80,000 will branch and provide fruiting structures and pods on those branches, making the best use of that vegetation. So, you know, when you get to that middle category where soybeans don't exist on those branches, it's just a bunch of branches, in my opinion, we may be pulling back from that beans potential because we're wasting energy on vegetation, building this vegetation, these branches that go out but never produce seeds. So any vegetation that these plants produce is requiring energy, nutrients, moisture. I just wanna make the best use of that. So from that, I can start to place beans in the right management as far as population goes. You know, those soybean varieties that pod load on that main stem they don't have any business being in low population zones. They really need to be maximized, tight spacing, higher, mid to higher populations. Um, Whereas the beans that want to branch and make a bunch of uh, beans on those laterals, maybe they have a little more potential pulling that population back and giving them space, allowing them to flex out. And then I think those beans that we found made branches, didn't necessarily make fruiting structures, those are falling somewhere in that sweet spot of 120 to 140,000. So in this first year, I guess the big findings are a lot of our soybean varieties today do fit, in my opinion, that 120 to 140,000 planting uh, you know, population window, which is a broad thing for Southern Illinois. But I think we have identified some beans that we know confidently we can't place in those low population zones we have other beans we can confidently say we can't place those in the in the super high populations
0: very fascinating stuff a a question that came to my mind too and i i wonder did did soil type did weather conditions have any impact on how these plants either branched out or didn't branch out or you know set pods just on the main stem Did, did soil type weather was that an impact at all nick
2: so i would love to be able to answer that but unfortunately this was in one testing location in 2022 i've got i'm fortunate to have a little 12 acre testing block and and this took up a majority of it so Mm -hmm. uh, very long strips two different populations ten varieties takes up a lot of space soil type within that 12 acres really doesn't change all that much Mm -hmm. um, you know i would love to see this over multiple planting dates and i didn't have that opportunity so um, I guess, unfortunately, I can't conclude that there was any difference by soil type or environment this year. But we are looking to move this project um, further next year by opening up more testing sites, more planting dates, and uh, more environmental factors, if you will.
0: Well, yeah, it sounds like we need to expand this uh, this research a little bit. Nick, uh, any other thoughts that come to your mind after looking at this uh, research and this study when it comes to making those Ever important seed decisions on soybeans, especially as we get into this growing season?
2: Yeah, you know, I think it's going to be important for us to go through our entire lineup and classify soybeans. I equate it to corn, maybe said too much, but you know, we understand that corn ears flex in multiple ways, whether it's girth, length, kernel depth. Um, There's a lot of ways a corn ear can change based on environmental and management practices. I really think it's important to emphasize that soybeans have that same potential and going through an entire lineup, going through every bean that we have in our lineup will allow us to better place this on on growers. So, um, you know, when when growers are saying that we didn't get performance out of this bean, now we may have a little bit of background information to quantify why didn't this perform for you or why did this excel on your farm?
0: Well, I know folks can learn more online at agrigold.com. With that, Nick Fredericking with Agrigold. Thanks for joining us today. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, sir. All right. Coming up next, we're going to talk markets. Brian Split, agmarket.net. He joins us in the hot seat on the way after this. Back to more Market Talk right after the break.
1: Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen.
0: Well, as we take a look at the market trade action that we saw on Tuesday, we'll call it a mixed day. We have some green on the screen, especially in the wheat market, Chicago, KC, a little more mixed in quarter beans, mixed activity in livestock, some good strength in feeder cattle as well, ahead of the cattle inventory report. Here to walk through the market trade with us, we welcome in Brian Split. AgMarket.net is joining us. Brian, good to catch up with you, sir. It's been a couple of weeks. Hope you're doing well.
3: Yeah, it's been good. Uh, sorry about the glare. Our landlord is uh, replacing the windows in our office for us, but they had to take down all of the window coverings that keeps our our studio, um, you know, the, the lighting right. So mm-hmm. I know it's kind of off right now. Apologize for that. But yeah, good to be back. Uh, kind of a quiet day today, a little mixed trade. So
0: I was going to say that light, it's just, it, you're. it's shining the glow on you. You're in the spotlight here to talk about these markets. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Something like that. We'll go with that. No, I, yeah, you mentioned to it kind of a quiet day on Tuesday. Um, looking at just this overall picture feels like a fairly quiet news cycle right now. We're trying to get a handle on South American weather. That seems to be a driver in these markets demand maybe the other driver and then i know on the sidelines we got the fed stuff this week but overall you know just felt very quiet we kind of lost some of that steam after we kind of bought back midday just a a little back and forth trade especially a quarter beans on tuesday brian
3: yeah you know there was a, a burst of buying across the board this morning uh you know corn rallied eight cents in the first half hour beans took off, uh, what, almost 20 cents. Uh, The wheat market was 20 plus cents. And then we just sat there. Uh, But I don't think that buying was just pointed at the ag commodities. It seemed like there was buying in commodities in general. Uh, That's been some of the narrative to start the year. Goldman Sachs says, hey, commodities are going to be the asset class to outperform. And uh, as we finish up the month, I, I wonder if we didn't maybe just see some, some buying in commodities to, uh, to window dress positions. You look at orange juice, for example, limit up today, that broke out to the upside. Sugar was very strong. Coffee had a very strong day. Uh, we had the energies come back off of overnight lows. So um, I, I think today, just end of month buying here on the idea that, that commodities are going to be something to own for 2023, right or wrong.
0: I'm glad you brought up end of the month because it felt like, too, maybe there was some of that playing out with money flow in and maybe even some profit taking. They're late in core beans, et cetera. Always good to remember kind of when we get into that end of the month time frame, we can have some of those types of moves in the market. I want to talk a little more closely, soybeans, though. What you're seeing on the charts, we were chatting off air this Spreading between old and new crop, this March contract has just been, you know, kind of on fire, the leader to the upside here. Obviously, we have these drought concerns in Argentina. We have wetness, harvest delay concerns in Brazil, but we're still like kind of watching this weather forecast. Feels like it changes day to day and kind of gives us bullish momentum, bearish momentum. So when you break it down, starting old crop first, what are you seeing on these soybean charts right now?
3: So, like you had mentioned, the March contract has been uh, a juggernaut, uh, and it has been since the January report relative to the other contracts. So, you know, we've seen some pretty big flat price movement. Uh, You know, last week we came out of the weekend aggressively lower. Uh, We went down and we hit the uptrend from the October lows. That's a very strong uptrend. It's got uh, multiple points of contact. So they bought it last week right where they should have. And, you know, you come off of those lows, 60 plus cents. We came out of this weekend and I think there was some confusion as far as what the calls might be. Some were calling it lower, some higher, some mixed. Uh, because I think participants aren't quite sure what is the most important part of the weather. We had Argentina get rain uh, so that should have been a negative influence. Meal really didn't open very strong. It opened a couple bucks higher coming out of the weekend, but, you know, not the type of opening that you would say, oh, well, that's going to lead to beans being up 25, 30 cents by the end of the day. Um, I think the ongoing uh, rain that we have in in some of the areas of Brazil that are ready for harvest is what's causing this March contract to outperform all the other contracts. And it's not just old crop versus new crop, it's old crop versus other old crops. So you think about March versus July, for example, Um, March was about a nickel under July going into that January report. And today it traded as much as about 22 over July. So March has gained quite a bit on on the, the second contract out. Um, and so I think a lot of that has to do with just the idea that we can't get beans harvested in Brazil. Um, the idea of getting quick quick ship out of Brazil is not realistic. So that's providing some support on the March contract versus everything else at this point. Um, we haven't been able to get through that 1548 and a half high. If we do, um, then maybe this thing just goes towards the upper end of the channel, which is going to be in the low to mid 1570s. Um, There was that peak at 1572. So that could be a a viable target if we get through 1550. Uh, But if we don't, uh, we may just very well drop back down and revisit that uptrend again, which is going to be around the 1485 to 1490, depending on timing. So um, it's just we're we're going. It's a weather market. Uh, We know how those trade. It can be bullish. You know, uh one day and then midday the next day, the weather models change and they take it all back. And that's the type of atmosphere we're in right now.
0: Well, Brian, think it about uh I think this probably applies especially to old crop, maybe new crop too. Love your thoughts here, but you know, lock it in some floors and some of these old crop contracts, really good value out there when we have this unknown of a weather market. I think about November new crop though, some farmers may see thirteen sixty-ish on the board and They're like, I don't know how much I like that. But then again, it's a pretty good price level to maybe at least get started with some new crop sales. Wouldn't it be or or should we be waiting a little bit longer here?
3: We were advocating 14 bucks and protecting 14 bucks. Uh, We've had opportunities to sell 14 bucks since August. And that might be part of the difficult factor mentally for the producers. They've seen $14 for the last five months. And uh, so selling 1350 or 1360 may not be that exciting or that attractive to them. That doesn't mean that it's uh, a bad price to sell. And uh, we could very well go lower here over time. Uh, you know, I know that's been part of the thought process on the bearishness of new crop soybeans is just once this Brazil crop is here and the world buyers can get to it, uh, we're likely to see our export pace drop off dramatically. Uh, But because of the delays, we're just not at that point yet. Um, And so uh, I do want to really point out and differentiate between the old crop uh, looking pretty good on the chart to the new crop looking not so good on the chart. They're trading two different scenarios right now. Um, I think the new crop has gone back up. It it retraced about 38 percent of the break from that high that we had at the end of the year. We've gotten back and retested the 200-day moving average. We visited the downtrend from that high that was made at the end of the year. So we got to get back over 1370 and take out that downtrend in order for the new crop beans to get a little bit of a positive technical outlook. What I can tell you is if we end up taking out those 1330 lows that we scored last week, that's going to look negative on the chart. There is still a gap down at twelve sixty-nine and a quarter that I think is a very realistic target over the next several months. Um, so maybe at the very least, the idea of having some put coverage at the 1330 strike, not a horrible idea. Sounded like funds
0: as well. Some of that fund money coming in on the day, buyers of corn beans, and bean oil, net sellers of meals. So obviously that's another component too, is You know, what is that managed money doing and how is that playing into this market trade? That's always something I think we kind of have to keep an eye on as well. And obviously with the Fed stuff this week, it'll be interesting to
3: see some of that outside market reaction as well. Right. With the Fed, you're undoubtedly going to see some pretty volatile movements in the uh, the equity indices. You're going to see some movements in the dollar, which will lead to volatility in the other currencies. Uh, So that'll definitely have a hand on things, especially as we start a new month but um, you know you've got the fund uh, manager record long meal right now and so there's definitely some vulnerability there if they decide that that story's over uh, we could see the meal market break rather substantially something to point out about meal uh, we're kind of in a similar scenario to what we saw in august where the august contract was the front month it left the board the next contract came on the board and on a continuous chart it shows a gap right so one contract leaves The next one comes on at a lower price. And then what we did is two weeks later, we came back up. We tried to fill that gap. We got very close, didn't fill it, and then we rolled over. So we essentially have done the same thing. January, traded over 500. It left the board. March became the front month. It gapped lower. Here we are two weeks after that gap. We've come very close to filling the gap within a couple bucks. We couldn't quite do it. So it'll be interesting to see if the inability to fill that gap and, and, and the longer that gap stays open, do we start to see some profit taking in the meal? Um, and that really is just going to have everything to do with the perception of how long the South American and really the Argentine weather story is going to last.
0: Well, again, we're having a conversation with Brian Split of AgMarket.net. Few of the closes from the day on Tuesday. March core down 4, 679 to three quarters. July core quarter down 2 at a quarter, 665 at a quarter. March beans 2 and three quarters higher, 1538. July down three quarters, 1518 to three quarters. March bean meal was down 450 a ton, 484.20. March bean oil up 101.6233. Chicago wheat, March up 8 and three quarters, 761 at a quarter. March Kansas City wheat was up 5, 878 and three quarters. Spring wheat for March, three quarters higher, 9.22 and a quarter. Live cattle February up 10, 158.85. April down 32, 163.02. March feeder cattle up 222, 186.15. April up 177, 190.05. February hogs down 27, 74.87. April hogs down 10, 86.42. We're going to talk the corn market, we're going to talk livestock and more coming up here after the break as we continue with more market talk with Brian Split of AgMarket.net. Back with more right after this.
1: Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency. So you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information. The market news and analysis you need here on Market Talk. Now back to Jesse Allen.
0: We are talking today with Brian Split of agmarket.net, our guest analyst here on Market Talk. Brian, let's move over to corn. And I'd love to get your thoughts, both old and new crop. Starting old crop to me, it feels like this March contract six ninety is this overhead resistance that we're just stuck under. What are you seeing on those old crop corn charts right now? Is that the case?
3: Yeah, I mean, so we had a bullish January report. There's no doubt about that. That was the uh, you know the the harvested area is what made that report friendly. Uh, that was an unexpected move from the USDA, and uh, we made a, a move after that report up to six eighty eight and three quarters. So we go to 88 and a half today, we couldn't get through it. Um, and then we saw some profit taking there. So maybe in the short term, this is a range bound market. I think you're gonna to continue to see buying at the long-term uptrend from the July lows. Uh, that's gonna come in in the low to mid 660s, depending on the timing of it. That's a It's a trend line that's moving up day to day. So. Uh, I think you're going to see buyers come in if we get down there, and I think you're going to continue to see sellers uh, emerge between the six eighty-five dollars to $7 area, especially uh, when you look at the cash values that are available. Um, One of the things that we've been doing uh, over the last week and a half or so since that January report is selling straddles in the May options. Uh, That's when you sell a call and a put at the same strike price, and you collect the premium from both. Uh, And what you're really trying to do there is you're expecting the market to go sideways and you're looking for time value to come out of the put and the call at the same time. Uh, So if you did that the day after the report, just on on a non-directional position, you're already ahead about seven or eight cents on that. And that's just from time decay and and volatility kind of quieting down. Uh, And I think that's gonna be the expectation as we move towards that March report, which is gonna be acreage intentions and quarterly stocks again, I think because that report was bullish in January, you're going to have buyers coming in on dips. Uh, But at the same time, I think the producer is going to continue to reward the market anytime we see uh, the, the market get into that $7 zone.
0: On the new crop side, I think this could tie into a little bit of wheat discussion, too, as we think about upcoming acreage in the U.S. We think about fertilizer. Will we see more wheat acres versus, say, corn? Some of that might have depended on fall application. But thinking about new crop, penciling in some of those inputs, you look at new crop corn, what's your thoughts, what you're seeing on the charts, and then also some of the chatter you're hearing in the news and some of that mentality from farmers as we get ready for spring planting, Brian?
3: new crop is is trending down and, and uh, it has been since the highs that were made last spring. It's a very well-defined downtrend and we've yet to be able to break through that. Um, you think about year over year, our, and we're going to start making our, our spring average price for crop insurance starting tomorrow and through the rest of February. And on the uh, 2022 crop that was 590 and so we're essentially we're starting at about the same spot. My concern is that, and we've heard some scuttlebutt of different acreage uh, thoughts. Uh, you know, I had a client call me today saying, well, I you know, read somebody says we could have 94, 95 million acres of corn. And, and if that's the case, no one is short enough corn and long enough beans. Uh, that would really be a surprise to me if we came out with acreage intentions at that level. But even if it's 91 million acres and you have a good yield with a, you know, let's just call it a trend line yield, uh, especially if Brazil has a good Safrina crop, uh, I think that Brazilian Safrina crop would keep our domestic, uh, our, our export demand on edge for a while because they're going to have a, a fresh supply of corn to, to meet the world buyers. Um, then, if we have a good crop that backs that up, you're going to have a hemisphere to hemisphere good production cycle for corn. And then by fall, we may be talking carryout closer to 1.7 to 2.0 billion bushels. Uh, and that is not $6 corn. So again, it's going to be another situation where it's going to really heavily depend on what type of growing cycle we get this year and whether or not we can uh, raise a good yield. Uh, and, and it seems like that's what's coming down to every year when you're in a in a tight stock scenario. Um, if we have poor weather and uh, we have sub-trend yield, then $6 is too cheap. Uh, so this is what we're going to be looking at. Now, we have to remind the listener that the market really does not care what you paid for your inputs and whether or not you're going to make money on your crop. And sometimes when the market is trending down, they kind of push that and, and stress the producer um, saying, all right, we're not going to let our foot off the gas. We're going to keep pushing it and pushing it. Uh, and we've seen that before. You know, 2020 was a really good example. After COVID, they just continue to, to lay on the shorts. And so, uh, again, I think you got to look at your own profitability on your operation, allow some flexibility, uh, give yourself a, a head start of, of uh, maybe paying for some of your inputs um, and and not get too aggressive in either direction at this phase.
0: Great thoughts for sure on both corn and beans. Brian, wheat market was kind of the strength on Tuesday. Any thoughts with uh, what you're seeing across uh, all three wheat uh, classes here as we work through the week?
3: Wheat's been pretty strong this week. Uh, We've continued to see $8 wheat be a good base of support for hard red. Uh, So we've come off of that $8 area nicely. Uh, On the soft red, we're approaching the downtrend from the October highs. We've yet to take out that downtrend. Uh, That line would come in maybe about a nickel above today's highs, so it'll be a little bit lower for tomorrow's trade. Uh, So that'll be something to watch. I think the fund manager has been covering some wheat shorts Um, just with some of the the news over the last week week and a half of new military equipment going to ukraine are we going to see kind of things ramp up again as we get into spring uh you know we're going to go be going on a year uh not too far away uh you know in in february that was february 24th i believe uh where we saw the invasion And, and so it happens at that time of year because, you know, the, the weather cycle allows for for troop movement. So um, I think that's the concern as we kind of get back into February is do we start to see the kinetic activity increase in the Black Sea region? And maybe at the very least, the fund manager just doesn't want to have as short of a position just in case. Um, but we are seeing a production cycles increase. High prices have definitely uh, caused other world producers to, to uh, produce quite a bit of wheat. Australia is going to have a great crop. Russia still has an awful lot of wheat. So these are going to be the things that we're watching here over the next month or two.
0: I want to touch on livestock real quick before we run out of time, especially this cattle market. I know feeder cattle had a strong day Tuesday. Live cattle, mixed and choppy, felt like we're squaring up positions ahead of that cattle inventory report Tuesday afternoon, which we are anticipating, don't have it in front of us yet, Anticipating a record low beef cow herd i just wonder your thoughts in this cattle market here just the activity we've seen does it feel like we were trying to maybe bake in some of those estimates from that cattle inventory report brian
3: i think so and like you'd mentioned that is the concern is that we'd have a record low beef cow herd and that could very well come to fruition Uh, It looks to me like the chart did break out to the upside yesterday. Um, I would call that formation an ascending triangle. So we kind of had a flat base uh, above the market, and then we had an uptrend below the market, and then we squeezed through that flat top. Uh, And so what you're supposed to do technically is you take that measurement from uh, the flat top to the lowest trough in that uptrend, uh, and then you measure that higher. So that would project the April contract up to about 166. Uh, and I think that's a pretty reasonable target, especially if we get confirmation that the beef cow herd is uh, at that that record low uh, level. Um, but undoubtedly, we are trying to price some of that in ahead of that. Um, I would say that if the market sees some pullbacks, I would venture to say you're going to continue to see buying come in at that trend uh, it's got very strong points of contact on there, multiple points. Um, you know, you're probably your biggest risk in the short term is going to be just something happen in the macroeconomics. Uh, if we see a major washout in equities, something like that. But without that happening, I think you're going to continue to see the cattle market uh, steady to stronger over the next couple months.
0: 30 seconds on hogs. I don't know if we either, either one of us has anything positive to say about this hog market, Brian. It's just been taking a beating and been tough to look at. But any thoughts you have with what we've been seeing chart-wise at hogs?
3: Yeah, the February contract absolutely sucks. Uh, looking at April right now, maybe that one is showing some signs that we've made some kind of a low last week. Uh, we had a you know a very strong reversal last week. Unfortunately, we really just haven't seen any follow through. Uh, I think if you can get through the high that we made coming out of the weekend, uh, or I should say uh, last week, that 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 spike high that we had last week, I think you could start to see some technical buying, and then maybe that would confirm that we did make a low. Uh, but you know, with with the whole idea, you know, and again, the the talk about commodities being one of the the strongest asset classes, and a lot of that is uh, because of the expectation of what's going to happen with China reopening and. I don't know. I would like to think that if that's the case, China reopening, that that should be pretty beneficial to hogs. Uh, We just haven't seen that coming in the marketplace yet. But I've got my fingers crossed. I do think that we made a strong low last week. We just need to start getting some follow through. And I think once we do, you're going to start seeing some very strong technical action.
0: I think that's a great spot for us to wrap up. And I know you guys have your conference in Nashville next week at the Grand Hyatt. I'm looking forward to being there, seeing you. And I know folks can reach out to you guys for market advice at agmarket.net or 8444 agmarket as well. Brian, appreciate the time as always, sir. We'll see you uh, next week in Nashville. Thanks so much.
3: Sounds great. Thanks, Jesse. See you there.
0: We'll be back with news headlines to wrap up the show right after this.
1: Mm-hmm you informed with the latest market information for your operation this is market talk now back to Jesse Allen
0: and welcome back to Market Talk. Thanks again to Brian Split, Market.net for joining us with market analysis. Earlier in the show, Nick Frederick King with AgriGold joining us, and uh, just appreciate all the time and insights from both gentlemen here on the show today. Well, as we take a look at a few other uh, news headlines here across agriculture before we wrap up the show today, as lawmakers at Washington focus on the debt ceiling and federal spending, there are concerns about the direction and funding for this year's new federal farm bill as the current farm bill is set to expire in late September.
4: The major push is to make sure that our farmers are made whole with crop insurance. That is the number one uh, key that our farmers are pushing for.
0: That's according to Bradley Shad, CEO of Missouri Corn, which is part of the National Corn Growers Association. He says his organization and other farm groups are pushing lawmakers to keep them from taking money away from crop insurance programs.
4: That gives us opportunities to export our corn overseas. Uh, We have offices uh, around the world with our partners with U.S. Grains Council. That funding is very important. We need that to expand because of all the trade issues that are going on. We're also looking at conservation programs, making sure that we're doing it environmentally sustainable um, and making sure that we have the ability to use those programs to better our environmental footprint and our carbon footprint uh, across the board.
0: Chad says another key component of this year's farm bill is the foreign market development program.
4: They cannot tinker with that. That is our, our most important thing that our farmers use to make sure that they can be made whole because we're, we're dealing with weather and we, we have no control over that. Um, it's out of anybody's hands and uh, so we got to make sure that that crop insurance stays intact at at least uh, its level. There's going to be people that try and take money away from that, uh, but I feel pretty confident that we've got enough of a coalition and, and it's important for food security reasons to make sure that that is made hold.
0: And he recommends that every farmer get involved so that lawmakers understand what's at stake with this year's legislation.
4: Reach out to your membership associations and make sure that you're a part of that to where they have contacts out there in D.C. that they're talking with regularly. Uh, If you've got a personal relationship uh, with your congressperson, reach out to them. Make sure that they know how important the farm bill is and getting that passed. And so all I can say is just get involved with your association because the more voices we have together, the better off we're going to be.
0: Well, you can find the National Corn Growers Association's priorities for this year's federal farm bill online at NCGA.com. Well, the deadline for filling out and returning the 2023 Census of Agriculture is rapidly approaching. Tony Dorn is chief of the Environmental Economics and Demographics Branch at the National Agricultural Statistics Service. He says the deadline is just days away.
5: The end date is coming up quickly. The last day to respond is Monday, February 6th, and we appreciate all the farmers and ranchers who have responded so far, and we definitely appreciate everyone to respond by the due date. Our responses are definitely coming in. We are trying to offer as many different ways for farmers and ranchers to respond as possible over the mail, through the web, and anything else, sometimes personal enumerations. We're out there in any way. We'll gladly try to make it as easy as possible for everybody to respond.
0: Dorn says it's extremely important that farmers and ranchers fill out the census.
5: It's the only comprehensive source of county-level agricultural data, and it's conducted once every five years. So it's not very often that there's a measure of county-level agricultural activity across the whole United States. So it's used extensively and throughout the years it's a basically a historic landmark of what's happening in agriculture and since the last five years a lot has happened in the economy and agriculture, technology and all different areas of the world have changed quite a bit. so it's a measure of all those changes really in the impacts that agriculture has on the world. So it's very important to measure all that and it's very important that farmers and ranchers respond.
0: It's a chance for farmers and ranchers to influence the future of ag policy at all levels of government.
5: When farmers and ranchers respond, it's really giving your voice out there as far as how your agriculture activity, how's it doing? And the fact that it's at the county level is really an indication where local policies, local programs, local initiatives, everything that looks at measuring agriculture at the local level looks towards the census of agriculture. Because it's such a rich data set, because everybody wants to know what's happening in agriculture in the real communities. And there have been agriculture culture as well so there's so many new trends that happen and everybody looks back at the census to find out what's happening at the county level and what's happening across America and
0: And he says the agency also keeps farmers data
5: safe. Every report is, of course, protected by law so that we don't disclose any individual reports in any manner to any government agency or any private industry. And the one thing about our data is that when we release the census, we release it to everybody equally. There's no charge. Nobody has to pay or has a payment or any extra access that isn't available to all the general public. So that's one great thing about our data and the census of agriculture is that it's a service to the public and it's available to everybody free of charge, small farmers, large farmers, or anybody else who wants to look at agriculture has all access to the same data equally at the same time.
0: For more information, you can go online to nas.usda.gov. That's N-A-S-S dot, U-S-D-A dot G-O-V. Last week, Iowa Attorney General Brenna Byrd led a bipartisan coalition of seven attorneys general urging the Biden administration to follow the law and allow the sale of year-round E-15. Federal law permits governors to request that the EPA issue the regulations allowing E-15 and requires the EPA to issue the regulations within 90 days. Now, the sale of E-15 has been restricted during the summer peak driving months due to an outdated provision of the Clean Air Act. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds led a bipartisan coalition of governors making the request on April 22nd of last year, but the EPA still has not issued the regulation as required by law. Earlier this month, Governor Reynolds again wrote to the Biden administration reiterating her request that the mandatory regulations be issued in response to their request. Attorney General Byrd and the Attorneys General of Illinois, Minnesota, Missouri, Nebraska, South Dakota, and Wisconsin signed the letter to the White House and the Environmental Protection Agency. And lastly, here on Market Talk, at the beginning of the week, Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack announced the $2.7 billion investment to help 64 electric cooperatives and utilities. The funding from the Department of Ag will help the cooperatives expand and modernize the nation's rural electric grid and increase grid security. Vilsack said, quote, this funding will help rural cooperatives and utilities invest in challenges to make our energy more efficient, more reliable, and more affordable, end quote. The loans include $613 million to help rural utilities and cooperatives install and upgrade Smart Grid technology. Smart Grid could be a catalyst for broadband and other telecommunication services in unserved and underserved rural areas, in addition to improving grid security and reliability. So again, uh, big investment there from USDA into rural electric infrastructure. $2.7 billion to be exact. Let's go do it for Market Talk today. Stay tuned. The rest of this week we'll be reporting live from the NCBA Trade Show and Cattle Industry Convention in New New Orleans, Louisiana. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Have a fantastic rest of your day. We'll talk to you tomorrow.
1: Why are more people heating their homes with FS propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency. So you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit FSPropane.com for more information.